Welcome to the Turfgrass Hotline. I'm Frank Rossi. Turfgrass Hotline is brought to you by our partners at Dryject, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends all in one pass. Intelligro, makers of Civitas, a fungicide that's so much more. And the Plant Food Company, developing professional nutrient management programs since 1946. The newly minted tenured associate professor of turfgrass pathology, Paul Koch, from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, joins us this week on the Turfgrass Hotline to discuss the plethora of biotic and abiotic stress in the Midwest. And when we're talking plant stress, we should be thinking Civitas Turf Defense from Intelligro. A decade of research and use in the golf and sports turf industries has demonstrated the value of being on a Civitas program. Civitas activates plant defenses and helps you sustain turf under siege from pests and abiotic biotic stress, such as traffic and drought. Learn more about Civitas Turf Defense, available from a variety of distributors throughout the U.S. and Canada, in pre-mixed and ready-to-use formulations, or visit CivitasTurfDefense.com. Welcome to the Turfgrass Hotline again, Paul Koch. Our conversations are getting uh, quite interest these days. Uh, you're predicting early stuff of summer patch. Last time we chatted was very interesting. And of course, Kurt, your diagnostician in the TDL is now reporting widespread samples that are indicating stresses abound. Let's start with, you know, so far it's been wet and maybe not so warm, but now it's looking like it's getting warmer. I'm wondering how you look at the abiotic to biotic problems. I oftentimes will evaluate a season like, okay, it was really wet, but not much temperature issues. Boy, we got a lot of pathogens, right? And that's a biotic problem. So then there's other years where it's hot and dry and maybe it's mostly abiotic. Where are we so far, Paul? Yeah, we got plenty of biotic issues. I mean, it's it's probably easier to talk about diseases that we haven't seen this year. You mentioned, you know, Kurt Hockemeyer, our, our TDL manager. He posted uh, a couple weeks ago that there's just a ton of diseases uh, running around rampant. It's, you know, it's, it's, I feel like we're in New Jersey, man. I feel like Bruce Clark. We have all the diseases we could possibly want at this point in time. It's just been, it's been warm. It's been wet. And it's been sneaky warm. Actually, I was surprised just yesterday. The Milwaukee meteorologist posted that so far this year, it's the second warmest summer on or second warmest year on record for Milwaukee. So it's been kind of sneaky warm. We haven't had like a lot of upper 90s, 100 degree temps so far this year, but we've consistently been upper 80s to around 90, and then those nighttime lows, and that's. It always kind of that always kind of sneaks up on you when those nighttime lows are consistently upper 60s, low 70s. That's unusual for the Midwest, and so uh, we've seen a lot of that this year, which has really led to a lot of disease development. And so that is exactly what we're experiencing, except it's not New Jersey; it's becoming North Carolina, where we're starting to get persistent temperatures now, day after day, in the 90s here in the Northeast, and that's the kind of stuff that really starts to weaken the plants. Now, this is a bigger deal for annual bluegrass, right, Paul? I mean, how many of the samples are you seeing that are coming in or what you see when you do your work? Are bent grasses struggling now? Oh, not much. Uh, I mean, bent grasses certainly are having their issues, but it's been a brutal year for annual bluegrass in the upper Midwest. We're seeing more anthracnose uh, of late in the last couple of weeks and more summer patch than I'm seeing in several years. So it's been a brutal year for annual bluegrass. And it's just that those nighttime lows, when they're those upper 60s, low 70s, it doesn't give the plant any respite, any chance to kind of breathe and catch its breath. And it's just working all night at those high temperatures. So 
doesn't really get a chance to breathe. And then you get the summer patch happening. You get anthracnose happening. You get just abiotic stresses on the plant happening, no roots on those plants. So it's been a really, really tough year for annual bluegrass. Guys that I know who are really, really good superintendents that are struggling with their annual bluegrass this year. You know, I don't like to harp on it, but it just still lingers in the back of my mind. Was there anything that was happening during the early days of COVID where maybe we were missed a fungicide, uh, the rate got cut, timing was off, growth regulation was a little excessive. You think there's any lingering effects to the POA with maybe what we had to do early on? One thing that I have noticed in a couple courses that their POA is really struggling is they didn't get any seed head suppressant out. And uh, the plants that went to seed are the ones that are really struggling now, right? The plants put a lot of energy into putting that seed up. And those plants seem to be struggling. Those really annual biotypes that put up seed are earlier this year. Those are the ones that seem to be struggling more than the other ones. So if there's any kind of one COVID thing I've connected with some of the struggling POA is that if they didn't get their seed head suppressant out at all, or if they didn't get it out in a good timing, uh, those plants seem to be struggling a little bit more than others. And you mentioned that the bent grass has some issues, and I'm assuming one of them is dollar spot. And we're even getting pretty consistent brown patch pressure and pythium blight pressure up here in the Northeast. You know, a lot of guys shifted over to bentgrass fairways, uh, knowing that dollar spot would be the major Achilles, but this would be a year maybe there's a slew of other issues that are coming on bentgrass. How are the bentgrasses faring? Yeah, not too bad. Certainly better than the POA. There's plenty of dollar spot, but probably not as high as uh, I would expect given the humidity. I think it's actually been a little bit too warm in some cases for dollar spot. Still plenty of it out there, but it's not running uh, completely rampant. We are seeing more brown patch than we typically see uh, so far this year. So, um, you know, in the Midwest, I normally don't really uh, think a whole lot about brown patch, right? If you get some brown patch, you put a fungicide out, it goes away pretty quickly. But this year we're seeing more consistent brown patch. Still a lot of take-all symptoms firing, kind of comes and goes as it uh, dries up and re-wets. So as things dry out, the take-all symptoms come. We saw a lot of take-all last month and we're still seeing quite a few sort of residual symptoms from that. We're also seeing a lot of etiolation on bent grass over the past several weeks. And that's, you know, that's always kind of a hare's nest. We don't know a whole lot about etiolation. So that's one that we're noticing. And actually, we're noticing a lot more on newer bent grasses. So guys that have seeded over to bent, they have noticed more etiolation issues than, say, people who still have kind of an old bent poa mix. Man, that is shocking to hear bent grass etiolation like that on the putting greens that leading to decline or just the, uh, the sort of mad tillering phase? Mostly mad tillering. It's mostly in fairways and collars. We haven't gotten a lot on greens. And I haven't seen any cases in Wisconsin or Minnesota that have led to uh, decline. But I did talk with Bobby Kerr down at the Chicago District Golf Association yesterday. And he said he's seen a couple samples that have actually led into the decline phase. Well, the big news, I think, for you, and, you know, welcome to the annual Bluegrass Weevil Club. Can you take a minute and describe how you stumbled onto the ABW issue and how it's come about? Yeah, so there was, I got a call a couple weeks ago from McCorris in central Wisconsin. And he said, I got, uh, I think I got annual bluegrass weevil. The USGA was at the site and uh, the agronomist said, I think it's annual bluegrass weevil. And so the superintendent called me and I, of course, was actually drinking a beer at the time. It was like 5 p.m. So kind of spit my beer out and said, you don't have annual bluegrass, man. But he sent me some pictures and I said, man, it looks like it. I forwarded some pics over to our uh, insect diagnostician, PJ Leash, who's got some turf grass experience here at the UW Insect Diagnostic Lab. I forwarded some pics over to Ben McGraw. 
at Penn State, kind of the ABW guru. And he said, man, that looks like it. So I, I called the, the guy back and said, I'll come up first thing and I'll take some samples. And sure enough, grabbed some samples and sent them out to both PJ Leash and Ben McGraw. And they both confirmed it. So we think uh, they did a, a relatively large scale renovation several years back, seven, eight years ago, I think now. Brought a lot of sod in for doing some approaches and some runoff areas uh, from the East Coast. And we think that's where it came in from. Well, hopefully everybody's going to be washing their shoes off and not taking <laughs> soil uh, from that place. I wouldn't. I mean, thankfully, that was all bent grass. It's not causing damage. It's more of a novelty that it's there. Or do you yeah. see it uh, damaging the bent grass? At this, at this point, they're not concerned about it. There's a couple of little, you know, pockets of poa that have come into a couple of cleanup passes on fairways, that's where they noticed the damage and that's where they noticed the adults running around. So that's kind of where it came in. So yeah, it's not really a concern as far as the quality of the golf course now. It's more of a curiosity. And obviously we have a lot of courses in the area that have plenty of poets. We want to make sure that people are aware of it, that it's a possible pest at this point in time. Nothing to be totally concerned about right now. Everybody doesn't need to go out and spray a whole bunch of insecticides right away, but just be aware that it's it's kind of made a pretty big jump into the middle of the Midwest from kind of being as far east as, you know, Kentucky and, and the Cleveland area. Uh, now it's kind of made a jump into, into the middle of Wisconsin. So it can jump. You never know how those pests can move around. Yeah. And you're probably looking at the second generation of the pest. And in that case, if I mean, I'm pretty sure I know where you're talking about. In that case, with all the bent grass that was planted out there, I'd look at annual bluegrass weevil as an endemic control for annual bluegrass. I mean, it's certainly... Uh, this is the trend we're seeing in a lot of uh, areas back east where guys are saying, listen, we're just going to let this thing take the poet. It's crappy in these areas and see if we can get the bent reinstalled. And I think Katie Deal uh, at Rutgers did some of this work. Now, listen, I can't let you go without talking about root problems and pythium root rot and all the water that's entering that system. Are you thinking now that for the next few weeks, you need pythium root rot protection on your plants, regardless of what you're growing because of how wet it's been? Uh, it depends on your kind of your local environment, right? We know that pythium root rot is a moisture driven disease and certain areas that have been wet. So not the entire Midwest has been, has been terribly yeah. wet, but if you've been wet, like we talked about last time, Iowa has been really wet. Parts of Wisconsin, parts of Minnesota, Northern Illinois, there's plenty of people that have been wet. And with the forecast conditions, we have another return to really hot, humid conditions coming up. I think it's worthwhile to keep on a program based on how wet you've been. And so do phosphites do it? No. Phosphites don't do it. What do I need? I need a Segway, a Stellar, Subdue? Yeah, I mean, Segway is probably uh, one of the top ones. But yeah, Pythium-specific fungicide, water down uh, into the root zone and, and make sure it comes into contact with the roots. I've never seen a whole lot of evidence that phosphites are real effective on that, right? For most of our normal foliar pythium blight conditions in the upper Midwest, phosphites do do plenty fine. They, they provide plenty of protection, but for the, that root pythium, uh, you need more of a pythium specific fungicide, water it into the root zone so it comes in contact with the pathogen. So are the guys on the other end of the spectrum that are on the dry side, because as I look at the rankings, there are some dry spots in Wisconsin that are not getting the rainfall in the Midwest that are not getting the rainfall. Is that what's bringing on some of the anthracnose and the summer patch? Some of these areas are missing out on these storms. In fact, they're getting a little drier than the plants would like? Yeah, we haven't. Um, that's how we saw a lot of our take-all patch symptoms first flare up in late June was when we had a really a really dry spell. As far as summer patch, 
yeah, that can have an impact as far as, you know, because really all summer patch is, is that the plant leaves are just expressing drought because the root system is rotted away, so it can't get the water it needs. So certainly drier conditions at this point in time will exacerbate the summer patch symptoms. Anthracnose, though, at this point in time, it seems to be both wet and dry areas. I'm seeing plenty of anthracnose. So I'm not really seeing any correlation with wet and dry and severity of anthracnose. Well, you know, we harp on this a little bit at this time because, you know, now we're at the time where we go to, oh, crap, spray. And it's like, oh, oh, crap, something's going on. I got to go and do something. And I think it's it's important to not be so reactive about this. And I think the fear is if you lose plants now, you're going to be staring at them until Labor Day. <laughs> it's not like we're going to have ideal growing conditions for a lot of things to recover. So I do think there's a real need to be on top of things. And of course, getting a good diagnosis and having good plants in place is the way to handle it, Paul. What do you think about how guys tend to react at this time of year, knowing that if they lose it, it's not going to come back so easily? Yeah, we talk about two diseases that once you have them, the plant's kind of out of luck for most of the rest of that year, and that's basalite anthracnose and summer patch. Really, with those two diseases, once you got them, it's a hard road to get back to, to recovery, and especially with basalite, the damage to the crown region of the plant, you're almost looking at a, those plants just aren't going to behave quite right for the rest of the year. So um, yeah, it's, it's a hard slog, right? You're not getting a lot of recovery in, in August for sure. So um, with those two diseases in particular, summer patch, basal rot, preventative is the way to go. Well, listen, one more thing before I let you go about tall fescue. You know, I've been a big proponent. I know tall fescue is seeing more widespread use in northern climates uh, as we've gotten hotter and drier over, you know, the 20, 30 years of my career. And, you know, there's a golf course outside of Milwaukee that you and I have uh, enjoyed a Wisconsin beverage at that has a lot of tall fescue in the rough. I'm sure there's a lot of lawns of tall fescue. Uh, This has been the new... Mm, we're having some problems with tall fescue now that the weather's changing a little bit here in the Northeast. Are you seeing any issues in tall fescue or is it still holding up pretty good? Yeah, we're seeing plenty of brown patch in tall fescue this year. I haven't gotten any reports from Kurt yet. I haven't gotten any reports from anybody else yet as far as gray leaf spot, but we have seen gray leaf spot on tall fescue in the past couple of years, including in Wisconsin, both tall fescue and fine fescue have been hit with gray leaf spot. Those were both new seedings in the past couple of years, but yeah, tall fescue getting hit with brown patch pretty significantly this year with those sustained warm nighttime temperatures. Well, listen, there's something unique about the TDL that I don't think is common among other labs, and that is you guys thrive on a subscription basis, right, Paul? You still thrive on that subscription basis, in addition to other people selling samples. I've always liked the idea of the subscription thing. Does it work? Uh, Do you like it? And is there ways of helping you expand that? Yeah, I mean, our lab wouldn't exist without our subscription uh, services, which is what we call our our contract uh, members. And so it makes up probably 85% or more of what the TDL brings in in revenue in a single year. And so it's a way for, uh, you know, especially a lot of uh, guys in in Wisconsin, and and you were here when it started up, Frank, and uh, it's a way for a lot of them to support a, a local turf service. Uh, you know, Monroe Miller, I remember when I first uh, started running the TDL back in 2005, Monroe Miller came in to me and said, hey, we're sick of sending samples over to Michigan. So we want our own lab here and we want it done right. And so that's really what started the, the lab up and it's what keeps the lab going today. You know, diagnostic services just don't bring in a whole lot of money if you just do it based on sample fees. And so it's really important for us that we have our contract members 
they're a huge base of support and really allow the lab to continue. So we're, we're always very, very thankful uh, for our contract members. And not only do they get lab preferential treatment, I, I don't want to say we always look at their samples first, but we do also provide biweekly updates. Every other week, Kurt or I send out an email to our contract members. We, we update them on what we're seeing, what might be coming up. So we try to provide our members with a little bit of extra service that other people that use the TDL don't get. But anyone across the country is welcome to become a contract member with the TDL. The information's all, all on the TDL website. I tell you, I really like this for a lot of reasons. One is it's a very easy way to write it into your golf course budget and that supports your land-grant institution to provide some basic service that is unique to the needs that we have. And the other thing is internally, it tells the administrators like, wow, look it, they got a regular budget line here. They can support themselves. So we, we're happy to partner with something like this. So it sounds like it's win-win for everybody. And now a newly minted associate professor, uh, Paul Koch, I'll thank you for joining me and wishing you uh, safe travels around the great Midwest. Always a blast. Thanks, Frank. Take care of yourself, Paul. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Bye. Be good. Dr. Paul Koch is an associate professor of turfgrass pathology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where he conducts basic and applied research on turfgrass diseases, teaches courses in pathology, and with Kurt Hockemeyer, oversees the turfgrass diagnostic lab that you can become a subscriber to by visiting tdl.wisc.edu. The Turfgrass Hotline is brought to you by our friends at Dryject, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends in one pass. Intelligro, makers of Civitas, a fungicide that's so much more, and the plant food company developing professional nutrient management programs since 1946. The Turfgrass Hotline is recorded and produced at Rep Studios in downtown Ithaca, New York by Nate Richardson. Big thanks to marketing and business management John Kiger and executive producer Peter McCormick. I'm Frank Rossi. Thank you for joining me.